This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Although we've only got four uh, games left and they've got five games left, that's a long way to go yet at this stage of the season. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? I've every confidence it'll be a wonderful day for the supporters. Um, obviously, it'll put the icing on the cake for them if we get the right result. But I think um, Saturday will put in a nutshell everything that's gone on at this club, um, on and off the field, over the last few years anyway, um, trying to achieve things and produce things for those people that matter who are the supporters. Do you feel that you are not allowed to, to be the manager anymore? Uh, things were beginning to look that way, yes. Well, you, you used a phrase that was quoted in the papers where you said that you felt like an office boy. No, I didn't. I said if I'm getting paid as a manager, I expect to be able to manage, not to be an office boy. Last May, you won the league title for Aston Villa and were named manager of the year. Has what's happened today made you wonder about the state of football? Uh, yeah, no different to what I was thinking yesterday or last week. The state of football is um, a little bit serious at the moment. And... Um, there's a lot of things going to be done, but um, I'm in a football and I'm unemployed at the moment and, um, you know, I'll just have a rest and uh, then we'll see whether we come back in football or whether we come back into some of the business. Now a week since Ron Saunders resigned as manager of the league champions and although he looks set to take charge of their arch rivals Birmingham City, the Villa fans still want him back. The Aston Villa Democracy Group has been formed, and tonight before the game with Spurs, they were out in force. Protest leaflets were snapped up, and there was no shortage of signatures on petitions demanding the return of Saunders. But aren't they wasting their time? Protest leader, Buck Chin. No. As far as I, when I spoke to Ron Saunders this afternoon, he had not as then signed for Birmingham. Therefore, even at this 11th hour, we can still at least try to show Ron Saunders the feeling of the Aston Villa supporters, who are the real people of the club. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Jamie Vardy, and he gets his second and puts the issue 
beyond doubt. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of My Old Man Said. Dot com and joining me as co-host as we dissect well what is becoming uh, I think it's the start isn't it Chris of another villa meltdown or a villa fan meltdown it's beginning it could well be I think we're teetering as they say the honeymoon period of celebrating the mercurial Dean Smith and Grealish now starts to uh, take a more realistic tone as we uh, head in towards the Christmas period needing needing wins. We need to turn the ship round. But we'll get into that uh, later on and uh, pr- give a bit more context to why it's not DEFCON 1 just yet. Before we uh, crack on with the show, uh, first of all, obviously there was the sad news of uh, Ron Saunders uh, passing, aged 87. Villa's pretty much most successful manager ever and... Uh, a real light of what could have been, I think, because uh, he'd built potentially a, a legacy which uh, could have rolled on for a good few more seasons. Uh, so Villa, before the game at Leicester, there was a, a minute's applause. What, what did you think of the uh, tribute? A strange one. It was. I mean, it's hard because obviously the news broke, didn't it, sort of later on Saturday evening, so it would have been difficult to turn something round super fast. Yeah. yeah, it's not like they had two, three days or a week's notice. The strange one was actually um, in the ground, the, the referee was meant to signal with his whistle the minutes applause. People had already been applauding while the, the guy spoke yeah. on the tannoy and had stuff on the uh, video walls. But the guy, the ref blew his whistle to supposedly be the start and the Leicester players just sort of walked off to the uh, to the touchline to drop their jackets over there and everyone was like, oh, so we're not doing this then. It was all a bit of a, it kind of summed up the game really. It was all a bit of a shit show. That's one of those things where then fans get on social media and start slagging off the Leicester players, but then you think, well, maybe it hasn't been communicated uh, very well at the no, start. No, and I think a minute's applause is it's a nice way of doing it, but at least with a minute silent, it's a much more defined thing, isn't it? You know that, right, we, yeah. will, st- we, we, we will start this minute of silence when everyone's relatively quiet and on the whistle and then it ends on the whistle it's a little bit easier to implement yeah i i, I mean I, th- I think minute silence is more dignified but i think the reason why clubs favor the applause is because obviously in the silence you've got the away fans there and uh that won't necessarily honor the silence so then it becomes a bit of a situation where you it's, it's an easier let's say it's an easier one to do with the applause because you know it's it's, it's the safest option yeah, and, I, and I, I've always thought that with the minutes applause, it's meant, it's meant to be a celebratory thing, a celebration of someone's life rather than a mourning their loss. So it depends where you sort of yeah. um, frame that. But in terms, I mean, in terms of Ron Saunders, I mean, he was my first Aston Villa manager, and uh, I mean, the first shock for me uh, as a Villa fan was when he obviously left the club. I mean, he, he obviously that, he got the feeling quite quickly, didn't he? He knew what was coming when when Ellis was due back, and was and was probably right, wasn't he? It was a case of. Uh, I think he wanted more money. Uh, also, he had this thing about control and he didn't like people meddling in his affairs. And I mean, I'm just going to play this clip. It's kind of a famous clip because the season before we'd won the league uh, going toe-to-toe with Ipswich and their manager at the time was the former England manager, Bobby Robson. And he was told uh, about Ron Saunders' uh, resignation during an interview. So he was quite shocked. I'll just play that clip now. Good grief. Are you shocked by that? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely shattered. I just cannot. That's right, is it? Yes. Well, I can't believe that. It, that's football, you see. That's how football can change for us uh, and for everyone, really, if you like. Where last year he was the manager of the month, 
with a roll-up contract of three years, everything really going in his way, something obviously within the club has gone wrong. He's perhaps, you know, said, look, what's the scene here? And come on, back me up. And I would have thought he hasn't had the backing up. And on, because people don't resign for nothing, you know. M managers of that calibre running those sort of clubs don't resign unless something radically, radically is wrong. It won't be a little small thing. It'll be something which is important to Ron Saunders as a manager and, and it's affected his integrity and his dignity. And, if, and once that happens to, to managers, it's rather a sad scene. It was a big, big surprise at the time because this is somebody who had brought Villa up from uh, the lower tiers. So on the way, you know, they won a the League Cup and then they won a League Cup again. After the 75 one, when they went up also, uh, they won the 1977 one in a marathon against Everton, which ended up uh, with Villa winning it at Old Trafford. I think they were starting to run out of venues for the replays. And then uh, obviously won the, the league title, which was the crowning glory. First time for a million years that uh, Villa had won the league and actually made them a force in the present day. Because without Ron Saunders, if we hadn't picked up trophies, I think we would be considered a team like Bolton or Burnley, where you had your glories at the, you know, you were one of the founding members, etc. But and, then, and then faded in the new century. Yeah. Everything post war. I mean, as a kid, you knew that Preston and Burnley and Bolton were, you know, once upon a time, you know, some of the early founding clubs. So they, they had this uh, real old historical significance. And I think that's where Villa would have been if uh, Ron Saunders didn't give them their present day success. But he was suffering from Alzheimer's in uh, recent years. And I actually bumped into uh, Ronnie Saunders, his son, who he looks a bit like Ron Saunders, actually. And I had a good chat with him uh, about the situation. And I was talking about this, an idea of naming the North Stand the Saunders-Barton Stand because with Saunders you've got this unfinished business where he left I mean he walked if you want to boil it down he walked out on the club even if uh, you know the hierarchy were being a pain in the ass and so there isn't this completion because he went off to the Blues straight after but Barton and him were like hand in hand because Barton had scouted initially in his initial capacity with the club had scouted pretty much every one of those players that, that became the the force of Aston Villa in that period. So, And then obviously he got the European Cup over the line. So there is this, it feels a bit more complete if you call it the Saunders-Barton stand. And, you know, Ronnie Saunders was, you know, he thought it was a good idea. So it's a strange one, isn't it? Might... Because I suppose in, in the, if, you, if you did what he achieved in the modern era and you walked out on Villa sort of in a Champions League campaign, for example, and then Villa went on to win it, yeah. and then you went on to manage the Blues, you would have all your good work potentially undone because people would just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Because when the new owners came into the club, they, they couldn't understand why Ron Saunders wasn't celebrated so much and why there wasn't already a stand named after him. You know, there's lots of re revisionism uh, in his, you know, mediocre players are suddenly celebrated because they interact with fans on you know social media or whatever people that were at one time scapegoats are suddenly legends and uh, it's, it's kind of bizarre how it works but at that time you know there was a bit of uh it wasn't all like ron saunders wasn't the the kind of superhero as uh history will make people out in terms of people in terms of fans feelings because he was uh he didn't suffer falls you know he didn't do a lot of press i mean he was a decent man on the inner circle, but, you know, when you've got the media fluttering around, anybody with half a sense who doesn't want to waste their time and, you know, with, with idiots will come across as uh, being a bit of a pain in the ass when realistically they're just, uh, you know, self-preservation. 
Yeah, he came across very abrasive, didn't he? And I know a lot of the players would sort of say he was a very, um, very blunt, to say the least. He wasn't sort of, uh, if you compare to sort of the current manager, Dean Smith, who's, who comes across quite a kind person, he was, he was very much the, the tough love approach, wasn't he, with players? Yeah, but at the same time, had a good heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's the story Andy Gray, uh, it's been doing the rounds where he, Andy Gray opened a club and Ron Saunders, you know, asked him about his club, and he said, "Right, uh, in the upcoming match, uh, you're playing, and uh, if you score a goal in the first half and we're comfortable, I'll sub you off at half time, so so we can get on with uh, doing his club launch." Brilliant. <laughs> Which, which is something I, I wouldn't have actually expected from Ron Saunders. And Andy Gray scored. And I think they were 3-0 up at half-time. And he said, uh, off you go. Good luck. Mad. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which gives you an insight into you know what the guy was really like rather than uh, this kind of abrasive exterior that was the impression that a lot of people got. Yeah. But you know, you only have to look at uh, Brian Clough, who uh, he was a lot more charismatic. But I think they still uh, had the same, let's say, iron rod approach to uh, getting a team together, which is something I think you need nowadays uh, with you know player power as it is. When they're very much a, a get the job done type of approach, aren't they? Let's just yeah. go out there and win. But anyway, he was my first manager, and they're still to this day the best manager. And you know, it's, it niggles that he didn't carry on. And hindsight even looks even worse because within five seasons we were relegated, and Villa just fell apart at the seams. And although we've managed to win a couple of uh, league cups since and challenge for the league a couple of times, it, it just hasn't been the same. And there is a big what if in terms of Villa history since I've been around. The biggest what if is what if Ron Saunders had stayed around for another five seasons? We Would we have had a, an Aston Villa legacy like, for example, Manchester United or Liverpool have had? Uh, yeah, would you have built a dynasty? Yeah, exactly. Right, coming up in the show, Mr Bird will do a Villa Minute. Uh, looking back within a minute of what happened at Villa Park against Leicester. In the three points, we will discuss quickly paying for fan engagement, the fact that there's another club teetering on the brink of existence, uh, Macclesfield, uh, the Russian drug ban, which uh, is just popped up in the news, which means that Russia will be banned from the World Cup, but I think there's a technicality which means they can play in the European Championships. I think they're out, they've been banned from the Olympics as well, haven't they? It's like a blanket sporting ban, isn't it? Yeah. Also, uh, the big main headline topic is Aston Villa. Should we be concerned? And then we'll look at uh, Leicester and all the hot takes from that, uh, whether it's you know Vardy versus Wesley. The concern over their discipline and why we got absolutely blitzed on the day. And then uh, there'll be no Scott Hogan touch count because there's, there's, we'll instead have a second part of the podcast this week, which will be a big collection of the Mad Few group, the listeners of this podcast, uh, question and answers. Right, before we go on, uh, just a quick mention uh, of our sponsor, Beer52. The offer still continues where all you have to do is pay the postage of £4.95 and you will be sent the next day a box of 10 beers, craft beers. It's it's essentially a craft beer club which you can cancel at any time. So you can get your 10 beers, drink them and then cancel straight after that. It's not a problem, but it's really uh, worth joining. You can select uh, light or a mixture of dark and light beers. There's a different theme every month and you know they are real top quality IPAs and darker beers. So uh, if you enjoy your beer, make sure you uh, take advantage of the offer if you haven't already. Right then, Mr. Bird, I'll count you in. It's uh, time for a Villa Minute. Three, two, one. 
So Leicester go into the game going for a ninth win on the bounce in all competitions. Both teams start brightly uh, in a very open game. Anwar Al-Ghazi hits the bar when it's actually easier to score. Mings limps off injured, uh, having started the game very shakily anyway. Uh, Vardy finds himself clean through after yet another Villa mistake. It's done from Wesley. Round Seaton slips the ball in and it's 1-0. Ian Acho finishes a good move with a neat near post finish from a Madison cross for 2-0. Villa pull one back just before half-time though in stoppage time with a group snapshot following a bit of penalty box ping pong so it's game on going into the second half or so we thought Tielemans and Madison sort of begin to dominate the middle of the field while Louise and Acambra and McGinn all go missing for Villa for long periods Villa start the second half well but give Johnny Evans a free header from a corner to make it 3-1 great header but woeful defending Villa huff puff and give Leicester more openings but concede the fourth when Vardy runs clean through Villa have a couple of desperate penalty appeals turned down and once the third went in never looked like scoring or being in the game Leicester come out comfortable and very deserved winners to go Five six point clear of Manchester City anything else? my final note will be a rather shambolic day summed up by the fact that we couldn't even get the tribute to Ron Saunders done properly oh dear hopefully this isn't the start of uh, things to come right into the three points point number one anybody who's who follows the football supporters issues you'll probably have heard about this the concept of socios which is what West Ham have signed up for also Juventus where it's a monetization of fan engagement so through cryptocurrency you buy digital tokens with your real money and then you can use them to vote for various things i.e fan engagement at your club uh, west ham have signed up for this juventus uh, have actually uh, run their first poll of fan engagement and it was on the goal music which is a weird one anyway i mean i hate i've always been a hater of goal music but so this kind of myth of you actually having a share of uh, you know what the club do you, you make the decisions you can influence the decisions I mean goal music and the choice the, I mean in the Juventus case the choices were Blink 182 all the small things Blur Song 2 House of Pain Jump Around P.O.D. Boom and it's like well you know it's the lowest common denominator songs for that which pretty much uh, I think all those songs are used for goal mu- music around the world or pre-match warm-ups yeah, especially song two. Yeah, but just the concept of fan engagement should be your fans should have an influence in the club through real engagements anyway. It shouldn't be something that you would have to pay for. You're already paying as a fan anyway on tickets, merchandise, season tickets, and the and rest. The fact, and to have the cheek to think, how can we monetize these people even more? How how can we really drip them dry as consumers? Well, right, let's let's give them the myth that they actually have a stake in their club and that they actually you know have to pay for it. It's I mean, if you're signing up to schemes like that, you, it's only the dumb will sign up for that. It's just all a bit wanky, isn't it? Like it's kind of like token gesture and needless, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily add anything to anything that they're just trying to build something that isn't necessarily there like you should have fan engagement anyway but for example why why would Juventus not have an engaged fan base they've they're a dominant football team and the Italian football supporters notoriously are very influential within their clubs anyway yeah especially from an ultra base I mean yeah the fact that Juventus would normally pay for their ultras to fly to games or the the top of the you know the ultras the droogies and now suddenly they're having to pay via cryptocurrency to have a say in things like uh, goal celebration music is a bizarre turnaround of events. I I mean, I'd be interested to see how that got through in Juventus because I thought uh, the ultra fan base would have stamped that down. Maybe it's been done without their 
influence, should we say? But yeah, it's it's just cringy. Uh, this just, I mean, fans are, are you know abused as it is by uh, people trying to milk them for every coin. But this idea of uh, they're hardly going to be voting on things like which player should we buy? Should we buy by player A, B, or C? It, it will just be you know tenuous things so uh it's as i said it's just a token gesture it's kind of nothingy yeah i've actually uh put it on the uh the agenda for christian personally to see what his opinion uh, of this is and also uh another potential uh future happening in football of uh, facial recognition as well right number two after barry disappeared will macclesfield go the same way that one of the headlines of the macclesfield's problems uh, with you know players uh, refusing to play because of non Payment is uh, Sol Campbell uh, has declared that he's owed 180000 by the club, so he's supporting a winding up order, a petition over unpaid tax bills. And, you know, this is something that's been going on uh, and is, is, you know, for, for a while, and, and it's only started to become news. But the thing is, will the media be bored of it because of what happened with Barry? Is it kind of old, old news now and they've moved on? Yeah, will it be like another, you know, another group of players refuse to play a game? I think Macclesfield's game against Crewe. The weekend was was postponed, yeah. but it's, it's almost as you said, it's not new new information anymore. It's just yet another club, another example of there's something wrong with the football pyramid, and uh, well, it's like society as a whole. Should I say it's like the top get richer and the uh, the poor get poorer? Macclesfield will now appear before the court again uh, regarding their debts on the 18th of December. So uh, watch this space. Meanwhile, in Russia, Russia have been handed a four-year ban from all major sporting events by the World Anti-Doping Agency, VADA. This is point number three. And this is where it gets kind of weird. Uh, it means the Russian flag and anthem are not allowed at uh, events like the Tokyo Olympics next year. And also... Uh, the World Cup in uh, Qatar, but athletes who prove they are untainted by uh, doping will be able to compete under a neutral flag. Now, that means they can't play. Surely, uh, Russia can't put out a football team under a neutral flag t- to play in Qatar. So, Surely uh, not. What, are going to invade somewhere and play under their flag? Yeah, the World Cup quarterfinals, it's England versus the neutrals. Despite the ban, though, Russia will be able to compete at uh, Euros 2020. Be obviously, uh, St. Petersburg is a host city because European's football governing body, UEFA, is not defined as a major event organisation with regards to rulings on anti-doping breaches. This seems like something they've constructed. Of course, they're a major event organisation. I mean, they've, they put on the Champions League, do they not? They put on the, the Euros, do they not? I think it's just because it's already set up. St. Petersburg has been dedicated as one of the host cities and there's, you know, X amount of infrastructure and planning has already gone ahead. So they've probably said, like, before you announce this ban, can we have some kind of technicality? Because, you know, we obviously need them. This is already set up. So there's a bit of a dubious one. I think this is probably going to be an ongoing story over a, you know, a few weeks here because I think that obviously the Russians will get to appeal and it's whether or not the sanctions sort of put against them either get changed or maybe even made more severe it it looks like there's an outgoing anti-doping like the head of the anti-doping sort of commissioners they aren't happy with the decision essentially saying well we've banned them but then we've got all these like almost like soft allowances essentially allowing little little things to slip through the net as well it's like well if you're going to ban them you have to ban them and it has to be a carpet ban rather than you know, letting them play in the Euros, for example. Yeah. That isn't a deterrent. The thing is, this has been an ongoing thing for decades now. I mean, going back 80s, 70s, like the Eastern Bloc, Russia, East Germany, 
you know, some of their athletes, especially uh, when it came to uh, females, the w- women's side of things. I mean, just ridiculous physiques because they're all like pumped up, allegedly. And it's something, uh, it's almost like it was, it's a way of life. Uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's obviously drugs happening in uh, America and everything. And that seems to be almost like an individual thing where the whole Russian thing is, is seen as the whole country's doing it. Well, it's like systematic, isn't it? They, they do it as yeah. a... As a, as a as a country, it's kind of um, and, and, it's like and as and, a culture, yeah, as a culture, and and, and it, it almost sort of gets turned on its head by the Russians when they reply as well. Well, we're the victims here, yeah. As if sort of cheating the system is well, of course we're going to cheat the system. Why wouldn't we? It's not our fault. It's kind of it's a very strange dynamic, and and how it yeah, plays I've, out sort of politically will be quite interesting as well. And there's always a thin line now, because there's all these there's kind of all these enhancement and nutrient supplements and whatever. It's where do you actually draw the line? Because there is a bit of a gray area uh, in terms of uh, some of the stuff that's uh, taken. But anyway, let's uh, let's not get bogged down in this. Uh, just before we crack on, I just want to give a big shout out to the My Old Man Said patrons who make this show possible and support uh, true independence. We are doing this off our own back. We don't have any uh, producers or an infrastructure to kind of do this. Uh, so uh, without you, we can't carry on so please do if you enjoy the show uh, sign up and you will also get access to extra shows which uh, we will probably do different ones uh, if we continue to get more patrons in the new year so i just want to say uh, a big shout out to the uh, the patrons that have joined this week daniel Noll from switzerland i actually went uh, to uh, where you live where you have the bears and you have that lake which i was very impressed by people get those waterproof rucksacks and commute to work by just jumping into the lake and going uh, with the tide and that's uh, that's burn in switzerland uh, if you haven't been go and check it out cody holcomb james rees matt chapman and just in case i didn't say uh, thank you very much uh, in the uh, last couple of shows uh, also matt deacon and sheldon palmer thank you very much for signing up and being a patron uh, you can also sign up uh, as a facebook supporter as well you normally don't get the podcasts extra podcasts as fast as the patrons do but i do endeavor to put them up there as well right let's crack on with the show and uh, let's get to the meat and gravy of the situation so should we be concerned about aston villa at the moment in terms of uh, what's happening uh, i'm going to ask you a question uh, chris bud you will be representing the whole of the aston villa fan base if oh, you wonderful. can put that if you can put, uh, shoulder that burden I am, I am the jack Grealish of the fan base you mean? kind so of do I, have yes. to, do I have to carry them okay so when you look at the fixtures of Manchester City, this is the run of fixtures, Manchester City, Liverpool, Wolves away, Newcastle at home, Manchester United away, Chelsea away, and then high-flying Leicester at home. How many points did you expect I would from have that? thought maybe four, five. I thought we'd beat Newcastle and I felt we might get a result against United. And then I just thought out of knowing how these things can work, I thought if you look at the other sort of four or five games, you you might get a, a token scalp there, which obviously we didn't. Yeah, I think maybe if you're pushing I mean, you're saying five points, I, yeah. I would say maybe you could aim to get something at Wolves, for example. But yeah. if Wolves if Wolves turned up, they you know they could potentially roast us as well. So with that that said, we are pretty much where we would expect before that period of games. 
Yeah, you'd probably call it just about par for the course, wouldn't you? So the problem is, though, the reality is there's that slow burn disappointment builds up when you lose. Obviously, you know, we lost against Manchester City. The way we kind of lost against Liverpool, we didn't turn up against Wolves. Newcastle game, they win, and that is the opportune moment that the board decided to give Dean Smith a new contract. This reminds me a little bit about Paul Lambert's new contract when yeah. he was spiralling, uh, you know, he was he was... He was like a, a person just trying to keep his head above water. And we started off that season where I think we, uh, did we won, won three, drew one of our first four games? They bang slapped a new contract down. And then I don't think he won for months after that. <laughs> Sounds about right. Hopefully, I don't, I don't want to uh, draw a, a direct comparison. But yeah, that was the moment because they would have looked at those games and thought, you know, they've obviously been in negotiations with Dean uh, in the close season. And they just obviously they want to see how, uh, you know, drag it out a bit, see how he fares in the Premier League. And it's kind of all right up to this point. Not, you know, if we'd probably have beaten Arsenal, beaten Spurs, he'd have probably got his new contract a bit earlier. And then you look at that running and you go, oh shit, when we're going to give him a new contract? Beats Newcastle, there's your moment. So anyway, that's the context. you when you look back in hindsight and you think, well, four or five points, that would probably be what we could expect. And that's exactly what we've got. So, uh, I mean, we're not going to waffle on about uh, what we need in the upcoming games. But those, it's if they spread some of those Christmas games against the bottom three in between the games we've just played, I think we would have had more points. Fans would have been a bit more content and we wouldn't be having uh, the start of this kind of meltdown. But there is big problems and we saw it again uh one of the hot takes from the game was just the lack of threat that that we have going forward we don't have that out and out threat Leicester come to Villa Park and first of all you know instantly that Vardy's a threat you know he scored uh in X amount of games consecutively he's done that previously when they won the league he you know he's a he's a marquee headline threat what do Villa have they they don't even just in terms of like like for like you know Wesley is not a like for like player is he even like Ian Acho he's not a like for like player with him either you just Leicester just were like they have a mobile front two who are a threat they have probably what four five players who can win them the game just in that striker position do you think Villa would have got promoted last season if Wesley was our forward instead of Tammy Abraham I would considering Abraham scored 26 goals I mean do you know what during that 10 game run though it wasn't like he was massively prolific was it like Abraham scored a lot of his goals in the first half of the season yeah which kept us there or thereabouts in terms of uh, having a pulse because if they even didn't yeah. score those goals I think we would have been uh, fighting another battle yeah, absolutely. I don't think Wesley's a you know he's not um, a twenty five thirty goals a season striker at in whatever level he's at. He didn't score that many in Belgium, did he? No, he's, I think he just, he scrapes over double figures. But Speaks I mean, we're itself, not. It? But this, I mean, the the fact is that Wesley isn't. I mean, he, you know, he had twenty nine touches against Leicester. Vardy had twenty one. Scored it's two where, goals. It's where he has them, isn't it? Exactly. And I mean, there was a situation spoke to you about this uh, after the game uh, off the ball he doesn't have that striker's instinct for example we broke down on the right I think it was the second half and we had a we had a with Wesley we had an o- overload of three on one with their left back and Wesley uh, you know gave the ball off I think to Elmo but instead of uh, instead of getting in the box because they had two on one on the flank without Wesley so this was a chance to lay off get in the box he just lingered around on that right flank and what you you know you're going down the line what you're ultimately trying to do is obviously create a chance to get the ball into the box but the 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 main striker the lone striker 
is still fannying around on the wing. He doesn't have that instinct to like, you know, Abraham would have, right, right, I've done my job here, right, I'm in the box, I want to finish this off. And this has happened a lot of time when he comes deep to get the ball, you know, he'll pass the ball off to Grealish or, or whoever who will like take it on. And then he's not running alongside them. He's not, you know, breaknecking, trying to get into the box. He stays deep. Yeah, he's just, it's, it's almost like having that selfie streak, isn't it? Going, I'm here to score goals and that's what I'm going to do. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Like, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to compare him to someone like Codger, but you look at what Codger is equally, doesn't offer you a lot outside of the penalty area, but... What one thing I will give him is that if you put him in and around the eighteen yard box, he comes to life, doesn't he? And he's when he when he gets a chance, he's gonna take a shot and he wants to get involved and score goals. Wesley just doesn't seem to get into the positions to. I mean, there was the one in the um you know, there was the there was the El Ghazi chance which gets pulled back. And if you watch the replay, actually it flashes past Wesley, whereas if he puts his foot out, he probably scores. Yeah. He doesn't he didn't gamble. Now, obviously El Ghazi gets his chance and it, it goes begging anyway, but it's those moments. You mentioned Codger, but it, this isn't like a a Codger or Wesley debate because often or not, neither offer enough. Codger head down in the box, and he's not necessarily going to get a shot away because he runs constantly into traffic and obviously uh, teams work him out pretty quickly, especially at the Premier League level. There's a reason why he's not a an established Premier League player before we picked him up because it's not as if he's a, a young pup but when you look at uh, the overall pro it's, it's it's not a matter of just wesley it, the main thing is dean smith's team and the whole ethos of dean smith is the much muted possession-based team i mean he, he, he follows pep guardiola's ethos but when you break down the 16 games that we've played already in only three games have we had more possession than the opposition and that was against newcastle 62 percent Burnley 60.2% and then in bought against Bournemouth I mean obviously these are all home games and against Bournemouth that only happened because we were 2-0 down very early on and obviously Bournemouth could you know sit deep and just uh, see the game out but in Liverpool we had 26.3% I mean even Everton when we won 35 that's a home game yeah, problem is if you're playing uh, and you, and you're not getting as much possession, what you need is real cutting edge. You know, a lot of teams play on the counter and specialise in the counter. I mean, 
mean, Leicester City, when they won the league, were a counter-attacking team. They were getting 30% of the ball, 35% of the ball. But they had, you know, they were lethal up front. They had speed, obviously, and Vardy. And when they sniffed a chance, you know, they they would put it away. We don't have that same. When Villa turn up, you're, you're hardly uh, racking your brains how are we going to stop this attacking threat, are you, as, a, as an opposition manager? No, I mean, the amount of times we've surrendered under 40% of the ball is quite worrying, really. You know, it's not like we're sort of competing and getting close it's like we're actually having dramatically less possession which for as you said for a guy who wants to set his team up to have the ball control the game it's something you know we've used that word control in probably every podcast this season yeah. the villagers just seem to be incapable of controlling a game Newcastle they did and it was and it showed because they how comfortable they were because a lot of the time it's because they give the ball away cheaply. I mean, you, you saw Grealish give the ball away. He just passed it straight to Madison, and and that you know that ultimately uh, resulted in one of their goals. And yeah. McGinn's been cheap. And Mings has been cheap with like, casualness has been switching casual. off. I mean, you look at against Arsenal. We played against ten men for over fifty minutes, and we only had forty-one percent of possession. Against West Ham, we played ten men at home for over 20 minutes just over it's just over it's about 20 minutes we only had 46% of the possession against West Ham at home playing 10 men for the last 20 minutes where you'd expect us to you know run them ragged but we didn't really and against Norwich I think we had what you'd expect I mean we beat them 5-1 but we still only had 42.4% of the ball which you'd probably it's expect. mad really isn't it yeah you'd expect against Norwich yeah, it shows they were very efficient that day, but that was unfortunately, as we've seen over the course of the season, maybe that game at Carrow Road was actually a bit of an anomaly in our favour. Yeah, but they were creating proper chances and you know, obviously being clinical at the same time. But we haven't had that clinicalness because Wesley isn't the out-and-out striker and we're not creating chances. I, you know, I can't remember him having a chance the last few games. No, he hasn't had a shot. He hasn't, he hasn't really even been close to one. There was a, there was a couple of occasions in, in the Leicester game where you just thought, just gamble. There was one in the second half where you think, if you get in the six-yard box and throw yourself at it, El Mohamedy put a great ball in, and he was nowhere to be seen. So, I mean, what are our attacking threats? I mean, we've got wingers that, I mean, El Ghazi, as we saw, and it, this isn't the first time he's done that. I mean, he's, he's missed guilt-edged chances. I mean, he scored some good goals, but at the same time, uh, with, when we say guilt-edged chances, I mean, they, that was I mean that was a banker, the opening Yeah, you've goal. got to score. And that could potentially change the game. I don't personally think it necessarily would have done massively. No. I still think Leicester were a far superior team. But scoring the first goal, it suddenly changes the complexion of the game. And you're not chasing. Especially, yeah, because the first thing Leicester want to do is get that first goal when they're away from home because that just opens us up. And, you know, Vardy on the counter-attack, it's pretty much uh, set up perfectly for Leicester if they're ahead. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately Leicester win that game if El Ghazi scores, but at least you've got a chance. And you can uh, drop a bit deeper as well, I suppose. And not you don't have yeah, to I mean, force the game. Yeah, Smith, Smith said sort of post-match that he, he, he thought that both managers would be disappointed at how open the first half was especially and that the game in general was I mean Leicester were wide open and Villa were but unfortunately Leicester had the tools to kind of play through us and around us getting behind especially and Villa just didn't because we didn't have willing runners yeah I mean it's like a boxing match where the the way it started is where both both boxers have thrown punches but the difference is one of them can punch like Deontay Wilder while the other one uh, you know it's powder puff stuff and there's only one winner in that situation with it being so open and Leicester, Leicester could control the ball. You know, you, you, the amount of times we would give the ball away in a stupid position and they would take advantage of it was just infuriating. And that's kind of becoming the theme of the season for me, unfortunately, that these we're talking about the same mistakes we were talking about in August 
in December. Yeah. And at what point does that stop being, you know, sort of luck? And when does it become just ineptitude? I don't know. Yeah, and in terms of being a, just to cap off the possession, I, the only time I felt like we looked like a possession team was against Newcastle. That was the only game we had a reasonably comfortable control of. Everything else, I mean, and the stats are the headline here, three out of 16 games where we've uh, had more possession. Admittedly, we've played uh, a lot of the top four or six teams, but still, if you're a possession-based team, you expect more. And then we've, we're just so naive when we do get the ball. You know, we're not a smart team. You know, Leicester are. They're, they're a very talented group of players, but they're very well drilled. And they, they know when to give away a foul. Villa give away fouls in stupid positions. Target was guilty of it. Mings was guilty of it in the first half where he overplayed, slipped over and just pulled the guy over on the corner of the penalty area. And he deservedly got a yellow card. I think if he if he hadn't got off injured, he had looked like he was playing us into trouble many times in the first half anyway. You know, Ian Accio and Vardy would probably told, pressure him under, in possession. Yeah, well, I think uh, Rodgers made that switch anyway to play two up top. Yeah, just to get out Villa and press, press the back four. So he'd obviously seen a weakness there. And the, the big one for me was um, Pereira. The, well, the two fullbacks, obviously, Chilwell and Pereira are very good players. They got forward. But because Grealish is, uh, is playing on essentially the left of a, either a midfield four or a forward three, He's going to bomb on, but he's not. It, it almost looked like Rogers singled out Grealish as actually being both our strength and our weakness. In that, actually, if you let Grealish go, he isn't going to get back, and Pereira could just bomb on. And every time it was Ianacho or Pratt or Madison and Pereira against target, sometimes it was two, three on one. Yeah, they well, clearly he got... targeted our fullbacks. I think El Mahamedi did better than than target, but target had a torrid time in the first half. He was also lucky. I mean, looking at the discipline, we had six yellow cards. Target was very lucky to stay on the on the pitch. As was McGinn. As was McGinn. Mings I mean, how we didn't get a... The fact that we didn't get a red card is probably the only positive you would take from the game. Yeah, I mean, Grealish needlessly uh, got a fourth booking as well. And that was stupid. I mean, it's obviously you've, you're feeling a bit dejected, but you've got to... Uh... You've got to have that cooler mentality, especially as a captain as well, because it's the long game as well. I mean, this game was lost. You've got to uh, think about the key games because we suddenly we looked like we picked up a few injuries as well. I mean, I don't know at this point, point of recording this podcast how severe Mings is is and targets but if you're playing suddenly you're playing those three key games against Southampton Watford Norwich and you're missing like key personnel like Mings or even target who I mean he did well early doors getting forward uh, regardless of being ransacked uh, defensively but if you're going into those key games and you're missing your big men and you're not picking up the results that you should have then it's it's the long game uh, suffers big time yeah, I saw a comment online where someone simply said Villa looked today like they weren't up for the fight, but they were up for a fight, which I thought was quite amusing and pretty on the money that Villa looked. They looked very frustrated very early on. Yeah, it was a very niggly game and they weren't necessarily getting the decisions. They were obviously very aware they were making mistakes. It was a very threadbare performance. And there was one moment I think McGinn got fouled. It was a bit of a soft one, didn't get the didn't get the foul. And you can see when McGinn does this, he's almost like a slingshot. You can see him being coiled back. And just yeah. lets himself go at players. And you can see when he's going to do it. Smashed into one of their players. I think it might have been Madison. Rightfully got a yellow card. And then five minutes later gave away another silly foul. And kicked the ball virtually the length of the field in frustration. I just thought, he's asking to be sent off here. Yeah, no, out, exactly. out of sheer frustration. But they're the victims of their own downfall most of the time. I, I think, in, in fairness, if Villa had been a bit more disciplined, we still lose the game. But you know, defensively, uh, some of it was, was, was shocking. The third goal is laughable, isn't it? 
But the warnings were there after three minutes. You know, Vardy ghosts in. Nobody's marking him. Misses his chance. And I think I put a tweet out at the time. Which, uh, maybe it's a good idea to mark Vardy. Because you think, you know, he's, as we said, he's the headline marquee threat. And you think, well, somebody's got to keep an eye on him at all times. And there's been a bit of a problem with Villa's, uh, I think the centre-backs, in terms of uh, defending at times, they they lose their man. And it doesn't take much to confuse them. No, and you're, ta- you know, you're talking about well-drilled Premier League strike forces you know you're not talking about like fellow newly promoted teams or like Newcastle who showed absolutely zero willing yeah that's why Rodgers went for that two up top I think because he saw that he would have seen that we're actually the the best form of the best way to play against Villa is to actually just go at them head first if you sit back against Villa you're just playing into our hands yeah I mean when we obviously when we're chasing the game suddenly we're playing a bit too much of a high line against Vardy and we were just kind of asking for it the thing is you know people said oh Villa took our chances we'd have been in the game but you know Leicester had it's like 23 shots and second half they probably had three guilt edge chances they missed Heaton made some great saves uh, early doors just before Grealish's goal uh, Engels made a great uh, sliding interception I think when Vardy uh, squared the ball and that would have definitely been a goal and Engels uh, stopped that so if it wasn't for you know some defensive heroics and goalkeeping heroics uh, that scoreline would have been up there with Southampton's I think when they got mauled by Leicester possibly it just looked like every time they got into the final third especially later on in the game um, they were going to hurt us you know once the third goal went in it was game over you know in reality I think Villa came out second half first, first five minutes looked reasonably sharp got into some good um, positions and then the third goal just knocked the stuffing out of them completely and it was just a appalling goal to concede as much as it's you know, a brilliant header from, from Johnny Evans that the defending is yeah. laughable uh, in terms of like the team selection uh, Rich Clark Matthew Facebook group said anybody else think that it always looks a bit lacking without Connor or Hurahan uh, complementing uh, what Jack does, even when McGinn is playing well, Connor gives us another dimension. However inconsistent he is, non-existent sometimes. We miss him when he plays decent. Well, I think he's a bit of an oxymoron that question because if he has been pretty non-existent uh, against Chelsea, I think, and obviously with Leicester's midfield, uh, Smith obviously went for Nakamba and Louise, and there was a you know logic to that. I don't think anybody grumbled about that at the time. It allowed McGinn to go further forward. So you're expecting more from him. As we discussed in the last podcast, you know, people have been saying McGinn seems to be off the boils. And we thought, well, he's been put back in the engine room. So when I saw that team selection, I thought, oh, well, well you know, let's see if McGinn actually uh, is uh, firing blanks or if he is, uh, it was just a more conservative uh, position he was playing. But yeah, he was pretty much non-existent as well, and apart from the petulant things you've mentioned, it, it was it was his basic things like his first touch wasn't there. I think he just he, he got you could see he got wind quite early on that he was he wasn't at the races and he kind of faded. And I just thought it was one of those games where Smith needed to be a little bit more proactive earlier in the game. Unfortunately, obviously he lost one of his substitutions in Mings going off quite early. I, I think you might have seen Hurahan on much earlier had he still had three substitutions on sort of well once the third went in. Because I actually thought at half time we we might have saved our bacon here, and we could actually, you know, get into the changing rooms, re- regroup slightly, and um, and try and push on. But yet again, our second half performance was just not there. Yeah, 
We're not finishing games well. Grealish goal gave us only gave us hope if Dean Smith at half time did some serious reconstructing and uh, had a had a plan B because when it was two nil we we were in all kinds of trouble but that didn't really happen. I mean they scored a reasonably early goal in the second half and uh, nothing really changed and it was game set and match by then. Yeah, at two one you don't necessarily have to chase quite so much and you can kind of shut the game down and try and be a little bit more patient. But at, you know if you, when you've got to try and chase two goals against a team like Leicester, you're just going to play. Into their hands and unfortunately we, we played into their hands throughout the game what was yeah. your take on you know obviously the the sort of the the press branding before the game was all about Madison versus Grealish you know coming up against each other for the first time what was your sort of take on that midfield because I, I personally thought that Grealish actually tried to carry the team too much whereas Madison actually completely ran the game yeah I think Madison can blend in with his team if that makes any sense yes, where Grealish yeah, he's part of a unit more isn't he yeah, well, Grealish kind of stands out as the beacon, and uh, you just know you've got to take the beacon out, and that basically shuts down the uh, shuts down the rest of them. Especially when he's on the wing, you know, when he's very much out on the left hand side, I think it becomes a slightly easier prospect to play against rather than when he's sort of drifting around. Yeah, but earlier on, I mean, we were talking, like for example on this podcast that the good thing was that with McGinn and uh, you know potentially Louise and Nakamba stepping up especially in the early days where you don't really know what you're getting with Louise where he's you know he's coming as like this oh he's the guy that Pep couldn't uh, play because he didn't have a work permit blah blah blah, and he's a genius and you're thinking well Grealish is just going to be one of the lads now he's going to be just he's just going to be one of the midfield and that would benefit him because the, the uh, opposition would have more things to uh, consider. But he seems to have been pushed forward as the, you know the only hope. While Madison uh, is definitely a, a cog in the machine, and uh, there's less emphasis on him. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, hundred I mean, percent. The way Leicester plays suits Madison. You know, he's 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 got that slightly more snap about his game than Jack. Jack sort yeah. of glides around, but he doesn't necessarily speed the tempo of the game. Madison gets it into feet and gets it out very very quickly moves the ball yeah. around Leicester seemed to be playing I'm trying to quantify this but like 20 miles per hour quicker than we were it just it just suited it suited how how they play and how we play was was only ever going to work for them because they've got pace yeah. throughout the team they were much more dynamic we're we try to be sort of slightly slower and controlled and then go through the gears when we get in the final third which we can do and have shown we can. Yeah. They go from back to front a lot faster. And, you know, someone like Vardy, when you know you can just hit it down the channel or hit it over the top and he will chase, is such a great outlet to have away from home. I mean, oh, yeah. Like, Liverpool Perfect. are the same. Liverpool can control a game with short passing if they want to, and then they can go long when they need to. Villa go long to Wesley and it's back to goal, but he's not going to be a willing runner in behind. And that's the big thing that's going to need to be solved for Villa. Yeah. I mean, Manchester City have got that as well. They can do the big goalkeeper kick down the middle and away they go flick on well they can stretch the game quickly you've got Sterling Aguero's not a slouch you've got pace and dynamism in the middle yeah. of the park I don't think we necessarily have as I've maintained throughout the last few episodes uh, regarding Grealish for England which you know is big push for but when you when you look at him as I've said I've had reservations because there's no rush is the main thing and obviously he's got to do a thing for Villa but it, there is a yin and yang to his game I mean for every bit of magic there's a bit of uh, you know sin you look at this game scores a great goal but also gives the ball cheaply 
you know passes to Madison as if he if, as if he's playing for England, <laughs> and that, that leads to a Leicester goal against Manchester United. Scores a Wunder goal, but at the same time misses a sitter. So it's not like a, he's not missed a hundred percent at the moment, and that's maybe because there's too much uh, on his shoulders. I don't know. So possibly, it, you, and the and the position he's it. playing in. You know, because if he's playing on the left, but he wants to run the game, he's going to have to drift around. All of a sudden, if you're a, if you've got a good fullback like Leicester did in Pereira, he knows he can bomb forward, and Jack's not going to track him every time. All of a sudden, if you get Iheanacho or Vardy go out wide with him or Madison, your fullback has got two on one every time, and they every time they had an overload in the left back position yeah. for Villa. I thought actually Amahamadi dealt with Chilwell reasonably well, although that obviously the goal came from. An overlap with Madison crosses it in, actually scores, and it's a reasonably well-constructed goal. But the amount of time, it almost became predictable. And that's what was frustrating with Villa. And unfortunately, with Smith on this occasion, that actually Villa not only got outplayed, they got outfought, which was frustrating. Because yet again, I didn't think, similarly to United, similar to Chelsea, I don't think Leicester were a nasty team. They certainly weren't like a big, strong physical team by Johnny Evans. But also, we saw Smith Smith got outthought this game. We were very naive in our our um, setup. Leicester just had more energy and purpose and and like thrust to their play. It, I mean, yeah. they were fast and furious. I mean, for my money, probably the most impressive team at Villa Park so far. As as an over as an overall thing, yeah. Yeah, Liverpool were a bit systematic. I think I was describing. You know, they were doing that diagonal ball from the edge of the eighteen to the back stick all yeah, the time. Yeah, they were they were more probing, weren't they? Whereas Leicester yeah. just go straight for the jugular. They're like kind of knife through butter type. Uh, but with real intent, you thought, shit, every time they came for us, you thought, oh, here we go. The headline of the show is that Aston Villa should be concerned. I think early doors, we were getting defeats, but it was because we weren't taking chances because we haven't got that cutting edge. But we were competitive in games. And so you saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I, you know, I did. I thought, well, yeah, it's just a matter of time. You know, the players are kind of gelling. We need a couple of extra elements up front to give us that kind of you know cutting edge but you know in recent times you know Leicester blown away Chelsea never really got in that game despite the score you know still score being flattered one. us really yeah scoreline flattered us the Wolves game we didn't even turn up and I was hoping you know that Manchester United performance I thought would give the team you know confidence to or maybe it gave them a bit of complacency going into the Chelsea and Leicester game I don't know because confidence mean, and complacency you know sometimes come hand in hand yeah they can and I think yeah, maybe they thought oh we can go to Old Trafford and get a point maybe not realising that the opposition they played against, same with Newcastle, really. You know, we played really well against Newcastle, really well against United. They were both on the day very poor sides. I mean, United were average. I think they had their moments. Newcastle were just dreadful. They were the, you know, if Leicester were the best team we've seen at Villa Park, I'd say Newcastle were comfortably the worst. Yeah, I mean, United are a funny team because uh, at the time it was like, oh, Ollie out after that result. And now it's uh, Ollie in because he's, he's obviously back at the wheel, isn't he? <laughs> he's beating Manchester City away. It kind of sums up the league, though, doesn't it? I think if, if you, if you yeah. sort of take a step back from from the Villaverse, it's kind of so many teams like the newly promoted sides have had ups and downs. I mean, who'd have thought Newcastle would go to Sheffield United and win or nobody would have expected Norwich to beat yeah. Man City. The big thing for me is Villa haven't taken a scalp yet. Yes. Was every, everybody else has. We haven't yet. We've we've had big opportunities. I mean, we've had guilt edge opportunities. You can't be 1-0 up against Arsenal with an extra man at half time and not take that opportunity because other teams will. Well, you can't even let, you know, you can't have your wobble, let them go level, then get back in front and go, right, now we've had our wobble, <laughs> now we see this out. You've had, you've, you've, you've had your, 
you fuck up. And then they've given you another chance. It's like, all right, yeah. there you go. Just, yeah, you can have it on a plate. <laughs> That's what we're saying. We, the, the lack of cutting edge and the, the, lack, the lack of the way we play, as you say, we, we've got to play well as a unit to have any chance in a, in a game. Yeah, we still don't have that. Pl- yeah, we're not. We're not going to play badly and win. Well, we can't steal games with a lack of possession, which uh, we can't beat teams by being the counter-attacking force. And the no. problem is, three games out of sixteen, we're getting you know way down in the possession uh, stakes. So how are we going to win these games? Because we haven't got that cut and thrust up front. So we've got a big problem. And I was saying, are you concerned? Uh, I was just explaining early doors. I, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, but now I, I'm more concerned just from the way all it takes is a bit of lack of discipline. All all it takes is a, losing a couple of key components like Mings, for example, and then you're or struggling. You get your, or if you get your yearly Grealish injury, exactly, and then you. You're not picking up points against Norwich, Southampton and Watford because, you know, there's there's still that complacency where that's where we're going to get the the points. But because, unfortunately, all these games have been bunched together, the ones that we only expected four or five points from, that actually puts more pressure on the run of games where we've suddenly got a run of games where we're expected to get points from. So uh, it makes it a bit more difficult. And if you're missing players or if confidence has dropped, then you've got a problem. But we haven't got that cutting edge. And that's, that's the biggest problem of them all. Well, it becomes it becomes very high stakes, you know. Southampton, Norwich, these will be sold out games, big expectant crowds, and Villa are going to have to put on a show. They're going to have to go for these teams, and the only way they're going to win with this lack of cutting edge is to dominate games. And we ha- we're struggling to have sustained pressure. We're struggling to have uh, sustained possession as well, and and keeping clean sheets is becoming you know a chronic problem. Yeah, some I mean somebody said in the the uh, Mad Few group that scoring goals wasn't a problem, it was uh, the defense uh, which was a, an issue. I mean I, t- I kind of agree in terms of I think it, the defensive problem is, you know, if if you're collectively able to hold a team at an arm's length because that's what O'Neill's teams used to be able to do very well. Villa, you know, under O'Neill when Villa were flying high, they were not a sort of a dominant blow you away type team although Villa they could do that. Villa were kind of workmanlike, hold you at arm's length. The Gregory teams were the same. We had speed yeah. and cutting edge on, on the counter and yeah. we were set up as a counter-attacking team. We we are not an, a counter-attacking team at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, people use the phrase, you know, at the start of the season, doing a Fulham. The thing why Fulham went down last season was that they were set up to dominate teams in the championship and most most weeks they'd have 65 70% of the ball. Fine. In the Premier League, they weren't set up to not have yeah. the ball and I fear that we're probably better at not having the ball but we're still playing well in the game and we'll still concede two, three goals. Yeah. You know, we played against a bang average United team and still conceded two. We we conceded two against you know against Burnley when we had sixty odd percent of the possession. So you can't vouch for individual errors and I don't know what you do to stop that. I know somebody in the, the Mad Few group commented the same thing. It's like if it's individual errors costing us every week, how do you iron them out? Is it a mental thing? Is it an ability thing? Yeah. Is it a mixture of the two? Is it that you have to factor in the opposition's tactics more? I don't know. But at the end, you know, at the end of the day, we've had the same amount of clean sheets as Liverpool. But it's all right scoring in every game, but you need to score more than the opposition ultimately to win a game. And and we haven't got that threat, as we said at the top of the show. I don't think teams fear us coming because it's not like we're giving them a lot of uh, puzzles to uh, solve to beat us. It's like, well, shut down Grealish. And uh, what else do you need to do, really? Earlier in the season, it was if you sh- if you shut down Grealish, you're okay. And then McGinn would come to the fore, and yeah. he got us through a lot of the games. All of a sudden, McGinn's looking quite leggy and probably needs a rest. I think Smith will be glad 
to get this game out of the way and actually have the week with the players without you know a midweek match or inter- another international break that seems to have broken up Villa's sort of progress through the first half of the season. Whether we'll look at you know the Liverpool game on the horizon as a chance to really get either, either a some confidence for people or to to get get some game time for the overall squad and actually get everybody up to speed. I said I'm starting to feel a, a little bit more concerned uh, because of this lack of potency. How are you feeling in a nutshell? Uh, are you, do you share the same fears? I'm still I'm sort of cautiously optimistic we'll get it right and I think we've we've seen enough that we can hurt teams my, my big thought of theme of the whole season has been this consistent it's the same errors in the same manner yeah. most most games even the games against like Newcastle games we've won even the bloody Norwich game we conceded an absolute howler of a shoot yourself in the foot goal so even when we're winning games we're making stupid individual errors I'd love to see a game when we actually show a little bit of killer instinct, even if we don't blow a team away, but actually show some control at the back. I'm not necessarily concerned yet, but there's certainly there are certain questions that are yet to be answered. So it's not like panic stations just yet. I think if we if we were to have say a bad Christmas period, oh, say, for in, example, if if, yeah. if Southampton came to Villa Park and won, and Norwich came to Villa Park and won, I think the atmosphere would change quite quickly. We would be rooted in the bottom three seriously then if those results. Happen. Yeah, whereas I think most people take the, the the runner games we've had into sort of into their mind, into their thoughts and go, okay, well, do you know what we've got? As long as we win the games we should be winning, we're okay. Yeah, but I think the bottom line is not to be cut adrift entering two thousand and twenty. No, which I don't actually think we will. I think it's so bloody competitive. I look at everybody in the bottom 10 and think it's much of a muchness, really. Yeah, Dean Smith has to find a way to get Wesley in the danger zone. And also, they do need to bring in some sharpeners uh, in in the January window. And a player that would, you know, for example, if you got another striker, they'd have to hit the ground running. It's not like, well, is that player who's young, who's not getting games? Who might, for... yeah, who might come good in a year's time. Yeah. We don't need that now. And he's not getting in the Leicester team or the Liverpool team at the moment. So uh, it's it's kind of we need a almost like a guaranteed sure surefire option. Yeah, you look at like when you know Sunderland were in trouble and they went and got Jermaine Defoe and he pretty much kept them up. You're looking at that kind of play, which unfortunately, having seen Smith's and Perslow's kind of thoughts on transfer policy, yeah. I don't know if they're going to go that way. Maybe even if they necessarily think, well, this is what we need in the short term, I don't know if they're going to make short-term decisions. Right. Anyway, let's get out of here. We have rambled on perhaps uh, a little uh, long on this. Uh, next up is obviously Sheffield United, who baptised us twice in the championship last season. Uh, I mean, we managed to get out of jail in the last game at Villa Park, but it'll uh, be interesting to see how they respond to the Leicester game because I'm sure Sheffield United will come for our throats. Before we go, any advice to people having meltdowns on social media let's just enjoy christmas <laughs> just enjoy your christmas and let's see where we are in january yeah i mean before uh, anybody gets the pitchforks out as we said at the top we'd have been happy with four or five points from that run of uh, games that we've just had i mean if you if you if you reversed some of the results if we'd have only lost 2-1 to leicester but lost 4-1 at home to liverpool i don't think anybody would have batted an eyelid yeah, or even 4-1 four, four, away at Chelsea, which could have easily have happened. Yeah, or City or wherever. You know, straight after games, when you've been beaten 4-1 by anybody, everybody's a bit I think bit it's just the off. manner, isn't it? It's, it's definitely the yeah. manner that's pissing the fans off, not necessarily where we are in the table. But also, we've been through this massive hype cycle as well, so it, it is a bit of a drop uh, when reality uh, kicks in. I mean, a lot of fans said, well, as long as we finish 17th, which, uh, you know, it's, it's fair comment at the start of the season, but the way everybody's hyped, uh, it's like you, you have a feeling that you're supporting 
team that's going to finish in the top six or whatever. And when reality does kick in, finishing 17th is essentially a relegation battle all the way through the season. And this is what we are now entering. Uh, I thought, you know, from the competitiveness earlier on that uh, if we had a bit more uh, cutting edge, I think we would have been mid-table. Uh, you know, you, you only have to look at the likes of what uh, Sheffield United have done and, you know, you Wolves, Burnley Wolves did last there's, season. There's a lot of very average sides. Yeah, Burnley have, you know, they've got their big men they put on, uh, and as we witnessed when they came to Villa Park, they've got a weapon, if, you know, they've got yeah. something they can use. Well, they play to their strengths, Villa don't. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what our strengths are at the moment, because we're meant to be a possession-based team, but as we have said, uh, you know, we don't have possession in most of these games at Premier League, because it's, uh, it's a different level from the Championship. But anyway, on that note, uh, we will uh, see what the rest of December brings to us uh, in the next uh, few podcasts, and uh, I'm sure at the end of the year we'll be able to uh, have a better insight into how final months of the season will pan out, and what our destiny more than likely will be Right, until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.